Welcome to the Catch the Fire Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us, and we hope you're encouraged by this message. All right, how's everyone doing today? Long-time listener, first-time caller. Um, I uh, Actually, I need to just take a moment. All, all week I've been kind of a nervous wreck getting ready for this to speak to you guys. And um, all week, all week I was receiving messages and phone calls and texts from people with just this word that said, just be yourself. And I just want to tell you, as somebody who grew up having a hard time being themselves, who got bullied and picked on and beat up a lot for just being myself, coming here in this family, in this room, and being welcomed and blessed to be myself is an honor and a privilege. So thank you guys for making space. Woo, I love Jesus. Come on, you guys. Who's ready to talk about Jesus today? Let's do it. All right. So let's get into this. Today, the title is Resurrection, Lifestyle or Life Hack. If you have your Bibles, please open to Colossians. For those of you with the paper Bible, like Jacob there, that's page 1,764. Look, it's an old preacher joke, I know, but I got the microphone. This is my moment. I'm going to take every moment. So the book of Colossians, all right, let's, uh, let's think about this. The book of Colossians is a book of the Bible that Paul wrote from prison. It's one of the four letters that we know that he wrote from prison. And sometimes some of the best things that we can do when we approach Scripture is to slow down. To just slow down and actually just invite the Holy Spirit in to the moment. To activate our imaginations to empower our curiosity as we dig into the scriptures. And so I just want you to think about this. This letter was written from prison. But who was Paul before he was writing this letter in prison? For context, this is important. All right. So before Paul wrote Colossians, he was known as Saul. And we meet Saul, him, we meet him in the book of Acts. And when we meet him, he's actually putting Christians in jail and he's overseeing their executions. So in Acts 22, uh, 4, we actually hear Paul say this for himself. I persecuted followers of this way to their death. The way was actually what the early church used to be called. So I persecuted followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. Sounds like he's fun at parties. Right? Do we get an idea of who this guy is? Are we in his head a little bit? Do we start to understand what does he look like right now in this moment to you? What does he sound like right now in this moment to you? What does he look like? What is the atmosphere around him? What are the people around him doing? All right, I just want you to hold that image in your head for a minute, and we're just going to, and now we're going to, we're going to talk about Paul now in prison. This is Paul who on the road to Damascus had this life changing encounter with the transforming presence of Jesus Christ. And now he writes this from prison after that encounter. He says this, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised. Everybody say raised. With him, through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised, say raised, 
him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that their debt is canceled. (laughs) Come on, you guys. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Tell someone, your shame no longer belongs to you. Paul later goes on in in this book and he says, let no one disqualify you. You guys, at the time when Paul was writing this, he was addressing a tradition that was hungry for a spiritual encounter. They were hungry for the things of God. And so what they did is they latched on to these philosophies and ideologies and speakers. And they all promised something really, really good. They all promised some kind of growth and maturity. But they all, every single one of them, bypassed Christ. And some of these things were good. They were taken from the Torah. They were taken from the law. They were taken from Jewish tradition, right? Like regulations on food consumption, Sabbath keeping. Other ideas Paul calls Herodian philosophy. But these false teachers, they used these spiritual practices and these ideas to retain power over this new church. So in other words, this church was being enticed by the things of God and even the ways of God. But in turn, they were losing their hunger for the presence of God. What does this mean for us? Well, guys, there's no shortage of philosophy that professing Christians have attached themselves to. There's no shortage of ideologies that we are running after. Right? We love a really good talking head, a good expert, a good influencer, right? That just sits there and articulates everything we already believe. But if we're not careful, what happens is we start to filter the character and heart of Christ through these influencers and experts, rather through the cross in the empty tomb. Look, and I'm not, I'm not telling you what to listen to, or what to read, or what to consume. Like, please, be informed, right? Like, if the Spirit moves you, let it groove you, right? But I'm, what I'm saying is, if you're not processing what you consume f- through Christ first, you're not maturing, you're being manipulated, Just like this early church, let me say it like this. We can't domesticate Jesus. Domestication of God not only lowers his image, but it actually lowers our image of each other because we were made in his image. Right? When we, oh, you guys, come on. When we reduce the holiness of God to mere power rather than love, What happens? We actually empower the things around us that then we now require God to save us from. And the sad part is, is he actually is the one who empowered us to fill the earth and subdue it. Jesus is not a mascot. Here's our litmus test. 
Anytime you forget that your enemy isn't flesh and blood, it's time to lean in to the purity and simplicity of the gospel. Anytime that we forget that the veil was torn and it was the hem of Jesus' garment that healed the woman of blood, and we want to rush to sew back up the curtain and short Jesus' hoodie for a little bit, it's time to actually wean ourselves off those voices and lean in and tune in to the voice of our Father. I'm not saying there's not room for debate. I'm not saying there's not things in this world not worth getting righteously angry about. There are. Peter had really good motives in trying to prevent Jesus from getting arrested. But just think what the world would look like right now. Think what your world would look like right now if he had actually succeeded. The ways of Peter would now be the standard and not the ways of Christ. The cross... You guys, it speaks justice and righteousness on its own terms. And we can either trust in the cross to do the work in the world for us, or we can trust in chariots and horses, like Psalms 20 says. This isn't a new thing, guys. This is what Paul was dealing with. He later on goes on to, uh, when he's speaking to the Corinthian church, he says this, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Is that good enough for us? Come on. How easy is it for us to add our opinions and even our experiences to the cross and it, like it's those things that actually save us? To put this actually back in the context of fasting and prayer, because that's the series that we're in. We fast not to punish our bodies to get some kind of spiritual superpower. No, we, we fast so we can become more like Christ in his nature. Right? Christ who got off the throne. Christ who emptied himself. Christ who became the servant of all. Christ who became our wounded healer. We fast so that we can become more thankful, content, and generous, and more Christ-like. We pray not so that our prayers are answered and we seem powerful and righteous. No, no, no. We pray so we commune with the living God. We pray so that the invisible can now become visible and tangible in the world around us. Fasting and prayer and even rest are lifestyles to adopt. They're not shortcuts to a better life. You can't life hack your way around the cross and expect resurrection. Jesus tells this to his followers. I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth... You will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus said this before his arrest and crucifixion. He said that before. He was already putting those principalities and powers to shame, you guys. This is how powerful the life of Christ is. We get to join him in that. You guys, the cross is the most grotesque thing that's ever happened, but it's also the most beautiful. It's where our sin and our shame lay there exposed, but it's also where Christ is crowned king. And it's right there at the foot of the cross where the rubber meets the road for those of us who want to follow Jesus. Because it's here 
that Jesus says, pick up your cross daily. He knows it's hard. He did it first. But remember, he was also the firstborn among the dead. You guys, if, if resurrection didn't happen, then picking up your daily cross is really bad advice. It's just really bad advice. But here's the thing. The resurrection did happen. And so now we've got full confidence and comfort to attack and overcome anything that the world has to throw at us. And this doesn't mean easy street. This doesn't mean life's going to be simple. This is going to mean that we're going to receive those phone calls like Aaron was talking about. It can be hard, right? It doesn't mean easy. But it does mean, according to John 16, it means peace. The kind of peace that doesn't mean the absence of conflict. This is the kind of peace that we carry with us in conflict that has the power to heal. It's the kind of peace that empowers you to write things like this from prison. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you Look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality, equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul later goes on in Philippians. Because remember, he used to be Saul. He used to be the principality and the ruler and authorities that was putting people in prison. So how did he get here? By the renewal of his mind. How we think about things matters. He says this later on in Philippians. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. Is there any excellence? Is there anything worthy of praise? Think about these things. What have you learned and received and heard in me? Put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. There is a lot going on in the world today, huh? Poverty, violence, corruption, greed. That's just in the 10-mile radius from here. Let alone globally, right? It's heavy. It can be depressing. It's anxiety-inducing. And I'm not trying, I'm not releasing that to you today, right? But it's real. This is the kind of stuff that people lose their faith over. Let's be real. But is this also not the perfect foundation for the gospel of Christ to take root? I'm talking about pure Jesus. Not Jesus plus whatever. I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm talking about the one who emptied himself. I'm talking about the one who put the principalities and powers to shame. I'm talking about the one who's at knee, every knee shall bow. Right? I'm talking about the one who puts every single ideology and philosophy before him to shame. 
So, how do we prepare our minds for the battles we find ourselves in? How do we learn to filter good philosophy from the good news? And I think we got a little bit there with Philippians, but Colossians 3, I think will get us the rest of the way there. This will be the key verse for the day. Since then, you have been raised, say raised, with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, say things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above. Not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. What are these verses saying? Remember your baptism. Remember your baptism. Remember that in your confession, you've already died. You're already in eternity. You're already seated with the Lord in heavenly places. Your baptism wasn't meant to get you wet for a few moments, you guys. The baptism was meant to set you on fire for the world around you. Right? Come on. What if we actually truly, truly just took a moment and actually believed it? What would our lives look like if we actually believed that we were raised from the dead? That, when, that we actually have stepped out of the grave like we stepped out of bed this morning. Hear my heart here, guys. Just slow down. Pastor the room a little bit. <laughs> okay. Not here to minimize any kind of pain or trauma or anything legitimate that people are going through. It's heavy, I know. Not trying to minimize that. But I am trying to lift our gaze up and maximize the power of Christ in us. Okay? We have been raised with Christ. We can now say, death, where is your sting? Proverbs 4 says it like this. Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Any Christopher Nolan fans in the room? Love me a Christopher Nolan movie, right? Sometimes scripture can feel a little bit like Inception, right? And it's kind of like, where am I in time and space right now? And this is one of those moments in scripture. And so uh, here's Revelation. Then the angel showed me a river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from where? The throne of God. And the lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Where's the throne? Or where's the water coming from? The throne. Here's what John has to say. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is our great hope. Are we in a troubled world? Yes. How are we going to respond? In the comment section or practicing our resurrection? So, about, hold on a minute. Whew. Thank you, Lord, for water. So, about seven, eight years ago, Kelly and I were starting up the outreach ministry here. We had some friends gathered, and we had this idea to go out uh, at night 
uh, to a bus stop in downtown Durham. And I don't want to give too much away about where we were, but it was not really a great place to go. Not the first place you think of when you think of, I want to go to a worship night. And we were, as we were uh, gathering and preparing for the evening a few weeks in advance, uh, Kelly had gone into this vision as we were praying. And she shared this before, but it's, this is worth reflecting on because this is one of those moments that marks you. She went into this vision and we're there at the bus stop. And there's just the, kind of the normal cast of characters there, right? And kind of off in the background in the distance is a man in a hoodie Thank you for hoodies. And if you blink, you miss him. But Kelly caught his gaze, looked up, and it was just, it was the most beautiful eyes of fire and love she's ever seen. This was Jesus. He was there at this bus stop weeks in advance, which meant he was early. Or... More likely, we were late. Because it's actually in this vision when they're eye to eye, he says, I'm here. Will you join me? And this is a call for all of us. And of course, we did. We did join him. How do you pass up an invitation to watch the river of life in action? And I'm, I'm going to tell you, whatever fear that we had leading up to that moment was gone. It didn't matter. Jesus was there. And we got there with our guitars, djembe, tambourine, voices, all of it, right? And it was super weird. <laughs> right? Imagine. Like, just, come on. It's weird, right? It's a weird thing to do. But after a while, people joined in. In a little while longer, we actually got to cry with some people. And we got to pray with some people. And there was a moment during this evening of intense fear, legitimate intense fear. It was overwhelming, actually. And we had a moment, we had, we had to make a choice. Either kind of peacefully pack up our stuff and go, or press in. And I don't know what would have happened if we had left. But what I do know is that what really felt like what was about to go down didn't. What I do know is that shady deals were disrupted. What I do know is that people were told that they were beautiful and worthy and valuable, maybe for the first time in their life. What I do know is that the peace of God fell on us like a warm blanket, because it was a cold February evening, and we needed his warmth. What I do know is that we all had an experience that night that we're not going to forget for a really long time. And here's the thing. The only reason that that experience even matters is because of the transforming presence of Jesus. And the only reason anything we do as a church here in Durham matters is because of his transforming presence. And I'm here to tell you that this is the perfect year to press into his presence. You guys, it is an election year. We need his presence. Amen? 
We need Jesus. We need his presence. There is no shortage of drama and stress and whatever else that we can just wrap our minds and hearts onto. Don't give in to the temptation. Set your mind and your heart on things above. To do it, it's just it's going to take some discipline. As Paul said, we have to put these things into practice. Paul says this in Colossians, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to any to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So how do we practice this? I don't fully know. But I have started doing some things in my own life that I want to share with you that I think that they've been helpful for me, at least. Okay? So, number one, keeping a journal of my daily cross and daily resurrection. Number two, praying the Lord's Prayer daily. Three, fasting. And fourth, solitude. All right. So number one, journal keeping. I've never been good at this. Um, My wife, on the other hand, has kept every single journal she's ever kept since kindergarten. If you've spent any amount of time with us, this makes sense, right? (laughs) Uh, Actually, last year, maybe a year and a half ago, I I remember Jesus' call to pick up our cross daily. And I started wondering, was I actually doing that? Kind of felt like I was, but, right? Like, we don't grow and mature from the experiences that we've had. We grow and mature when we reflect on those experiences with the help of the Holy Spirit. And so it was time to do some reflecting. Where did I pick up my cross? And for me, what that looks like is, where did I sacrifice for another today? Where did I forgive someone from an offense today? Where did I give up my rights for the sake of another? When did I intentionally discomfort myself for the sake of someone else's comfort? And I'm saying this out loud, and it, I just, I'm aware it sounds a, a little more righteous, actually, than it actually is. Oftentimes, these are actually just really small interactions, right? Letting someone in front of me on the 540, putting someone's shopping cart away for them, that's really frustrating. Letting my family pick the music on a long road trip. Lord, help me. <laughs> right? Like, there's bigger stuff too, right? It, it, and it all, but it all adds up after a while. And um, earlier last year, I started adding to my, to my journal not just where I picked up my cross, but where did I actually experience the death of Christ and where have I experienced the resurrection? Because it tracks, right? Like if he said, like scripture says we were, we were crucified, buried, and, and risen with him, right? And so each one of those stations is worth reflecting on. So for me, what does the death of Christ look like in my life today? Well, what dreams and expectations do I need to lay down? What am I contending for breakthrough that just hasn't happened yet, like my family's taste in music. 
The resurrection reflection would be something like, where have I experienced breakthrough? In what ways have I allowed the Holy Spirit to move through me that contradict my old nature? All right, number two. Praying the Lord's Prayer daily. Uh, A few years ago, uh, right before quarantine, my appendix ruptured. And like a total stubborn knucklehead, I didn't go to the hospital till eight days after. Zero stars, do not recommend. (laughs) It was during that time, actually, when I felt like death, because I was dying, um, that this verse in... And Colossians kept coming up to my heart to remember things above. I needed to remember the resurrection. It's a really good idea to remember the resurrection when you feel like death. And interestingly, uh, that actually led me to the Lord's Prayer. And I grew up in the Lutheran Church. Uh, I'm no stranger to the Lord's Prayer. I don't think any of us are strangers to the Lord's Prayer. I'm used to praying it. Um, It's kind of liturgical, right? It's written out. You kind of join. And liturgical prayers, actually, for me, have always seemed very kind of dry, dull, lifeless. And that's how it was when I started doing this. I set my alarm or set my reminder every day, 9 a.m., pray the Lord's Prayer. And at first, it just felt kind of dry, kind of routine, until it wasn't anymore. And I don't know how to articulate this. I don't have the language for it. Um, But what I can tell you is that somewhere along the way, praying this prayer has now become more formational and experiential than conversational. And um, I just want to highlight a few things of the Lord's Prayer for you. There's a lot we can talk about the Lord's Prayer. I'm just going to talk about two things real fast. Our Father... Who is in heaven? We're in a father heart movement. I'm not going to press too hard on the father heart thing, right? I think we get it. There's a God in heaven. He's not mad. He loves us. He's happy. He's smiling. This is good news. What I do want to talk about, though, is the our part. How many of our prayers are our prayers rather than I, me, mine? Our when we, when we actually slow down enough to remember our Father, our hearts and our minds should be oriented to the fact that we're part of a global family. If you pray our enough times, you'll start to see people differently. Hallowed be his name. Some people say holy. I say hallowed, mostly because I grew up saying hallowed, but hallowed means holy, and holy means set apart, and so it helps me to remember how holy hallowed is by only using that word when I pray this prayer. (laughs) Right? Because more often than not, the most times that we're most faithfully and fervently praying is the times when we most fervently and desperately need a little bit of holiness. In other words, our minds have been set on other things. 
And we need to remember that God is outside of all of that. But somehow he's in it too. And we could use a little bit of holiness in this world. Amen? Here's the other thing. It's his name. He allows us to use his name. You know that? Christian? Tiny Christ? That's what that means. How you share his name and hold his name and carry his name matters to the world around you. Are we treating it holy? What would your Instagram followers say about that? How would your neighbors answer that question for you? Are you carrying his name holy? Fasting. Oh, boy. How's everyone doing with their fast? Is anybody else fasting salad? Just me? (laughs) Guys, it is... Maintaining this physique, you guys, it is a cross I have to bear. I, guys, no, fasting's hard. I love Oreos. I eat them a sleeve at a time. Right? If you don't eat a sleeve, does it even count? I don't think so. Right? Fasting is hard. Right? It's meant to be hard. It's not supposed to be easy. Right? It's, it's the giving up and intentionally, like, stripping away the things in our lives that are holding us back. It's giving up those false comforts and those false ideologies. There's a lot to be that. There's a lot that can be said and has been said about fasting, but I just want to highlight um, one dimension of it that I'm just starting to open my eyes and my heart to, thanks to some teaching from John Mark Comer, some others, and of course the Bible. This is Isaiah. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be in your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of the finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and he will strengthen your frame. The gospel should propel us to the margins. That is where God met us. Jesus met us in the margins of our own lives. And fasting should soften our hearts to those around us who don't have the luxury of breaking a fast. There's a dimension of fasting that actually sets us side by side with the poor, the marginalized, and the oppressed. And when we actually remember that, when we remember those places in our lives where Jesus met us, encounters us, and heals us, 
That's the place where we can actually stand in solidarity with our brothers and sisters and truthfully declare along with Jesus, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are hungry. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. It is where he is found. Always, forever. Amen. So lastly, I'm going to wrap this up. Solitude. This last November, right after Thanksgiving, I was invited to take a three-day solitude retreat. And you guys, I don't know if you know about this, me. I really didn't want to go. (laughs) You introverts in the room are probably like, yes, give me some of that. Um, Here's how it went for me. It was horrible. I'm just being honest. My first night was filled with a full-blown panic attack. So that was nice. Am I selling it yet? (laughs) Truthfully, though, it did get better. It got way better. It got way better. Because here's the thing, I like noise. I used to be the drummer in a punk rock band. I'm a fire breather. I almost joined the circus twice. I like life a little rambunctious. <laughs> right? I like thing. I just generally feel better about myself when there's stuff going on around me. And solitude is no circus. It's quiet. And, of course, I, I found this out later, but I actually did it wrong. I spent my time alone reading a bunch of books, and I took an online class, and I did have music going at times. And it's not like God is up there keeping a scorecard, right? It's not about doing it right or wrong. It never is. He wants our hearts. But I did uh, prepare after the thing, and I t- found out I did it wrong. Because a true, soli- true solitude is actually removing and intentionally dislodging all of those unnecessary inputs from our life. And it's just you, your thoughts, your emotions, and the Lord. And it's okay. And so I didn't actually get that this time, wholly, but I did have a glimpse of it. And it was deeply transformational. So I'm in my second day, incredibly bored, a little bit frustrated. And I'm like, I'm going to combat my boredom with reading the Bible, which is always a great approach. And I just kind of had my cup of coffee, and there was a picture window, and I was like, that's going to be my spot. That's my thin place with me and the Lord. And I sat down, went to open up my Bible, and I just felt the Holy Spirit say, just don't right now. Can I just have 20 minutes? And I was like, okay, got nothing else to do. 20 minutes sounds good. Set my timer on my phone. And it was like, I don't know, 20 seconds in and I'm already a mess. Right? My mind's racing and I'm start, all the shame starts coming up. I can't even think of you for 20 minutes. I'm so sorry, Lord. And I'm, Our Father who art in heaven. And I, it's like I'm just trying and the shame and, the, and then you're just thinking about other things and it's this cycle, right? And I'm just sitting there, like, in this, just looking out the window. And then it dawns on me, why am I looking out the window when I could just as easily be outside? 
So I packed up my stuff, made a little place for, for me out in the deck, reset my timer, <laughs> and then I just sat there. And then I noticed that the sky was blue, like what felt for like maybe the first time in a long time. And I sat there, and there was just birds that I heard. And I could hear the squirrels, and it was goofy. And there was just this peace that fell over me. And then I remembered, and it dawned on me in reflection on this. This is like Colossians, right? This is like, this is like what Colossians was going through. This is like what we as a church are going through. Like how many of us are actually happy and content and feel like we're getting this spiritual experience by reading the Bible? By doing things for the Lord. By singing about him, singing to him, reading him, listening to podcasts. All these things are great things, right? But are we doing it from the safety of looking through a plate glass window or a church pew when the whole time God is actually just calling us outside to be with him? Okay, I'm going to close. Everybody stand up. I do not want your takeaway from this message to be a list of things you have to do for the Lord. Spiritual disciplines and practices are a means to an end. They're not an end in and of themselves. The goal is Jesus. The goal is his presence. There's no amount of journal keeping, Sabbath keeping, prayer, fasting, or anything that you could ever, ever do that will supersede the cross of Christ. But they can be helpful in reorienting our minds back towards his heart. I'm talking about living a resurrected lifestyle that cultivates the fruit of the Spirit in us. Author and leader of the 24-7 prayer movement, Pete Craig, recently posted this on his Instagram about living from the fruit of the Spirit. I'm less interested in adding to my resume this year than becoming a bit more like Jesus. And increasingly, I find myself drawn to people like this, more interested in kindness than correctness, gentleness than power, character over charisma, humility instead of all those other more obvious kinds of success. I admire leaders who care less about leadership than they do about living as beautifully self-effacing, quickly apologizing, often smiling, consistently prayerful, half-decent human beings. So this is our moment, guys. Do we feel like we're in a trapped in a cycle of doing things for the Lord rather than living in the overflow of the river of life? Are we in performance rather than overflow? Are you tired? Ministry team, please come forward. Are you tired? Do you feel like you're just laying in the tomb of life and you're just waiting to hear the voice of Jesus say, come on, get up and come out? Jesus is saying, get up and come out. Come forward if you would like some prayer. Are you tired of life hacks and just want to get serious about your resurrection? The kingdom of God is within reach. Thank you so much for joining us. There are so many opportunities to grow, connect, and be encouraged. 
To learn more, visit ctfraleigh.com and follow us on social media. Thank you so much for being part of the family. We are so thankful for you.